This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Oh Lord, you've spoken your word to me. I pray now that I would decrease so that you might increase and speak it through me. And Lord, if necessary, speak in spite of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So friends, uh, throughout the last several weeks, uh, the season of Lent, our, our church has spent time engaging this great statement of our faith, the Apostles' Creed. And we did that so that we could look at foundational truths of our church, things that, that Christians believe in, and really uh, get into specifics about what we believe about those things and why they matter. Uh, that conversation was really an internal conversation for the church, really geared towards people who are already people of faith and really getting into the weeds um, of our belief. I'm really excited about where we're going over the next several weeks. We are partnering with over 50 churches in the Triangle um, in a combined sermon series called Explore God. Explore God. And if if our Creed sermon series was a conversation internally, um, Explore God is much more of an external conversation, asking really big questions of faith that both people of faith ask and people who have no faith or are not sure about their faith ask. We'll spend the next five weeks um, talking about these questions together. I believe we, we have them on the screens. Uh, questions like, is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is the Bible reliable? And can I know God personally? A few weeks ago, we talked about in the Creed what it means to be a holy and Catholic church, and we talked about Catholic being universal. And one of the reasons we're coming together with these churches is because we feel that in a time where it feels like there's so much division, um, the message that the church should be sending to the world is really a message of unity. And so we strive to send that message. Um, that, that while there might be things that, that we disagree on, we can be united in Christ. And so we, we strive to send that, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series together. And over the next uh, several weeks, we'll be in this together. We have, uh, I think, an image of some of the, the churches that we'll be doing it with. Each week, we'll strive to pray for about 10 to 12 of these, of these 50 churches out loud um, by name. But just know that these are churches that people, maybe in your neighborhoods, um, in your places of work, uh, the, the, the places you hang out outside of this church, these are places that they go to worship. And so you can know that they're having the same exact conversation. Every week we're going to ask the same question across all of these churches. And so if it's a conversation you want to continue outside of this place, it's one that you can. Now I'm really excited about starting today, especially with this opening question of, is there a God? Because today is Confirmation Sunday. It is Confirmation Sunday. It's a day where um, our youth will 
proclaim and, and accept that faith um, for themselves. And so as they have spent time learning and studying together about the foundations of their faith, and they will come and, and have that and, and take that in front of all of you this morning, um, it's a time for us to engage some of that as well. And we begin with this question of, is there a God? Because really, it's, it's essential to start there. Our answer to that question is going to then inform all the other questions that we ask. If our answer to that question is no, um, then really what does it matter about pain and suffering, about scripture, about whether or not we believe our faith is too narrow? This question of is there a God is a foundational question. And perhaps it's one um, that you have known people to ask, and maybe you yourself have asked at times in your life. It's, it's certainly not a new question. It's even a question that, that people in Scripture ask. Um, Psalm 13, verses 1 through 4, we see David in, in one of um, the most trying times of his life asking, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul? and have sorrow in my heart all day long. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say I have prevailed, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, there are a lot of theologians and scientists and scholars and pastors and even biblical authors, as we have seen this morning, who have addressed this question of, of is there a God? And I want to provide some sort of framework for us this morning because these questions are very big, right? They are the big questions. So it's, it's impossible in 15 to 20 minutes to address the whole question and in every way, shape, and form. But, but to give it some sort of framework, um, there are really three primary ways that people talk about this uh, concept of God, our understanding of God, and how we talk about God. Uh, first is uh, cosmological. Cosmological. Uh, taking a look at the universe, at creation, the laws of physics, science, all of those things, how is God presented to us cosmologically? The second is ontological, and that is really the, the study of, of what it means for us to have being, our being, our essence, our morality, um, how we define good and evil and have comparison. And then finally, um, teleological. These are fun words, right? Fun words. You can impress your friends. Um, teleological. Our purpose. Our purpose. Why are we here? So I want to go through um, each of these and, and look at them within this framework of this question of is there a God? Really beginning with that cosmological question. As we look at the universe, as we look at creation, um, where do we come from? 
where do we come from? What is the source of the universe and all that is in it? Is all of this an accident or does it have purpose? Well, scriptures speak about this. We can look at scriptures like Psalm 19. Psalm 19 verses 1 through 4 says, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. We read this morning from the Romans passage, Paul talking about how God is presented to us, and Paul saying, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. These biblical authors suggest that everything in creation actually points us to God. I've heard a lot of people talk about this throughout my life, and, and even in this, in this church, as I've addressed these big questions about God with others, I've, I've heard that phrase, well, just, just go outside and look around. Go outside and look around. How do you not experience God in nature, in the beauty of this world? How do you not experience God when in, in the beauty of, of the birth of a child or seeing that occur? How do you not experience God there? A theologian named um, Thomas Aquinas, Aquinas, if you've ever spent time in the Catholic Church, chances are you have heard of, of Thomas Aquinas, um, wrote a great big book, a great big book called the Summa uh, theologia. You can read it if you want to. Um, it's, a, it's an excellent work. But he talked about how he speaks of God and God's existence through the lens of, of five proofs. Five proofs. So if you want to, if you're like a fan of philosophy, this will really get you going, okay? We're not going to go through each five, but just know Thomas Aquinas, the five proofs, Google it, and, and it'll, it'll give you a lot, of, a lot of stuff to read. But Aquinas suggests that when we look around, um, the only way that creation can exist with the beauty and the patterns and the change that takes place is if there is some primary source that is unchangeable, unmovable, and that existed before everything else existed. So what existed before creation? What put everything into motion? You're either going to answer that one of two ways. It's either nothing or something. If it's nothing, in philosophy, we call that nihilism. And that's just, there's nothing, everything is meaningless, everything is randomized. Adam Hamilton had a great quote about that in the Creed book. He said that for creation to have happened so randomly, it'd be like a strong wind blowing through a junkyard and managing to put together a Boeing 747. So when we look at that, if we say nothing, that's kind of being nihilistic in, in philosophical terms. But our way of identifying that something is through God. We believe God is that first mover. God is what is unchangeable. God 
is what set everything into motion. So we see that through that uh, cosmological um, definition. We can talk about God. But we can also talk about God ontologically, meaning through our being, through our being and through our essence. How do we um, define morality and how do we define good and evil? Now, um, I'm not going to take credit for Pastor Tim's story. Pastor Tim has a story about how when he was in college, he was leading a high school youth group, which I guess is a thing to do, because when I was in college, I also led a high school youth group. Um, Awesome. So he's leading a high school youth group, and uh, one of the students comes and asks him about the the Ten Commandments. He asks him about the Ten Commandments, and they have a conversation about morality. And Tim's question to the high school student was, well, where do you think that comes from? Where do you think morality um, comes from? And the student wasn't really able to give an answer. Now, uh, there was a really neat poll that was recently done by a group in Utah that asked whether the Ten Commandments were still relevant today. It's going to be really small on the screens, um, but I'm going to describe it a little bit for you. You'll see two lines. The one on the top, do we have that image? Is that being presented? The one on the top Um, is the United States, and the one on the bottom is the United Kingdom. And as you see, as you go through the Ten Commandments, um, many people believe that they are still relevant and important today, up until you start getting to the ones that specifically address God, right? Then then the, the number starts to lower. And I think really telling, the one about remembering the Sabbath day and, and keeping it holy um, seems to be one that very few people, I would even argue people in the church, um, seem to find that's still relevant today. But clearly, there is an aspect of morality that is important to us and to who we are. And when we ask, where do these come from? What is the source of our morality? If we want to go back and look at how Thomas Aquinas talked about it, he talked about it through means of comparison. He calls it the argument from degree. So we know what health looks like. We know we can see that a creature is sick because we have seen something that's healthy, right? We can touch something and know that it's hot because we have experienced cold. When we look around and talk about how we know the difference between good and evil, well, it's because we have to have some standard of good. And for us as Christians, that perfect standard of good is how we define God, that God is perfect justice, that God is perfect peace, that God is perfect mercy. So God is the ultimate measure of goodness. And so as we look at that and we see that there is something that drives us to be good, that has that desire in us to be good, we define that as God, that God is moving us and calling us towards that. And finally, um, the, the teleological, gosh, I love these words, the teleological argument, um, which is our purpose. Why are we here? Why are we here? We all 
in some capacity, hopefully, believe that we have a purpose. Now, again, I talked about that nihilism idea of everything being meaningless and nothing having purpose. Um, Scripture tends to disagree with that. Um, Here's a really famous passage of Scripture that often gets taken out of context, but it's God talking to a people in Jeremiah who are exiled, exiled and do feel as if their life has no purpose, who do feel as if they're going nowhere. And God's message to them comes from Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So God has given us purpose. There is this something greater that we are being called to. And many of you might know this about me, but I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis has a great quote in his book, Mere Christianity, where he talks about how we are drawn to this something greater. He talks about our relation to God, and he says, creatures, he's talking about us, um, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger? Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim? Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This desire, I believe, that is so foundational to just humanity, that surely there's, there's something more, that surely there is something greater, that surely life has purpose and meaning. That desire, I believe, ultimately comes from God. I truly believe that it ultimately comes from God, and it is a desire that really nothing other than God can fulfill. Scripture um, puts it this way. The psalmist says, I believe this is Psalm 42, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for the living God. That God is like water for our soul. And without that water, we just tend to run dry and there's nothing else. We can try to plug any other type of desire that we would like into that God-sized hole, but the problem is that nothing is ever going to fill it. Not our relationships, not our finances, not our accomplishments, but there is something in there that longs for more. And that more is God. And when we talk about confirmation, Miss Catherine... When we talk about confirmation, um, confirmation is meant to be uh, both a culmination of a journey and also the beginning of a journey. Uh, When you come and you profess your faith for the congregation, it's a beautiful moment, Uh, but it's not the end 
And we believe it's the beginning. And our desire for you and as a congregation is that you would live a life of faithful discipleship, that we would all strive to live a life of faithful discipleship because there is purpose in life. God has placed an incredible purpose on your life. And our desire is to see that purpose fulfilled and to help build you up in that as we help to build one another up in that. The reality is is that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. But Jesus came and talked about how we could establish that world here. That we could pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, My desire for us is that we would strive to be people who live into that. Um, who desire to see God be made known. Uh, Not just when we go outside and look around, but when people experience us. When people experience us. That somehow your life would be something that points other people to God. That your life would be something that has people going, well, if there is a God, um, it's probably something like that person. Amen? Amen. Amen.